Tonight on the A-Zone, we'll be discussing guns and gear. We'll all be talking about what we use and why, as well as answering some listener questions such as double action, single action versus striker fired, and how much does gear actually matter? So as usual tonight, we have Matt, Coy, Calvin, and myself, Connor. So our first topic for tonight is what gun do you use and why? So I'm going to start with you tonight, Coy. Okay. Um, I use uh, an open gun to shoot USPSA. Um, I shoot an Atlas because uh, it's an easy gun to get that you don't have to really wait for. Um, it's like any other open gun. It, it shoots and it's really loud. Cool. Okay. Um, next up, Calvin, let's go with you. So I shoot a Tenfolio Stock 3 Extreme. And the reason why I picked this gun is because the uh, world champion, I think he still is currently in production division, use a Tenfolio, but I didn't want to pay the extra 50 bucks for stock two, so I bought the cheaper stock three. I like how he didn't show up the clapped out piece of shit version that's a combination of my gun and his gun, and he shows the nice one. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to get... This, we'll get to we that one to, later. Yeah, give him 10 minutes to change out the top, and then we'll... <laughs> All right, Matt, tell us about your gun. Uh, I use a Glock 17. It's simple. It works. Um, it's cheaper than both of their options, and that's why I picked it. Cool. All right. And uh, I use Shadow 2s. Um, this is one of my carry optics guns. It's a uh, just a Shadow 2, the optic-ready one. And I have uh, a couple of them for production as well. I picked them because uh, I like the way the grip fits in my hand. And... Um, they're generally just relatively good guns otherwise. All right. So um, next up is the type of ammo. So we'll just go around in the same order again. Uh, tell us about the type of ammo you use and um, if there's anything interesting about it and, and why you set it up that way. So Koi, lead us off. Okay. Um, so like I said earlier, I shoot open. Um, USPSA has uh, two different types of scoring, major and minor. One of them requires you to shoot a bullet that's going really fast. Um, so I've got basically like three cases worth of powder in one case um, to, to make it go that fast. Um, it's a pretty common load. I don't want to say anything like specific because uh, people are going to like try it at home and get really interesting results. So um, we're endorsing everything we say here. So if you have problems, there, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's false. That's fake news. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's pretty common open load, I guess, like 10 grains of some powder and uh, like a 124 grain bullet. Um, and it goes really fast and it makes loud noises. I shoot uh, nine major, which some people might frown upon, but um, seems to be working okay so far. I have all my fingers. For now. For now, exactly. All right, well, cool. Uh, what you got for us, Calvin? So until the uh, 2020 ammo panic, I was shooting factory ammo and I would still be shooting factory ammo if it weren't for that. Um, I do love my own ammo now, and I try to replicate the feel of factory ammo as best as I can. So I am loading ammo well above the uh, minor power factor floor for my production and carry optics guns. Cool. Okay, what about you, Matt? Uh, I do something similar to Calvin. It wasn't until recently when I uh, chronoed my ammo that 
I realized that my ammo was nearby the uh, the power factor floor of 125 uh, since I shoot carry optics. And then I realized, hmm, I need more powder. So I just said, screw it. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm safe from the chronograph at whatever major match I go to. And so I just load higher than normal. Wait, do you guys not have special chrono ammo that you that you use just for chrono? <laughs> <laughs> totally... You keep it in your pockets so those days warm. Yeah, that's a trade secret. <laughs> you just leave it in the sun, bro. <laughs> no, it's crazy how many questions I get about what kind of special ammo I use. And like literally, I don't know about you guys, but like I made M class of production using nothing but factory ammo. And I was forced out of factory ammo because of pricing, not because I won some magical bullet that could hit everything without me aiming or holding. Yeah. Right. I mean like at, at least for practical pistol sports where like not like precision rifle or something. Um, but for practical pistol sports. Uh, I don't. I think literally the only reason to handload your ammo is just to save on cost. Um, otherwise, factory ammo is more than good enough. Assuming it makes makes the power factor that you need. I, I, it's like there's probably not off the shelf nine major. But okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty. I no specific loads again, but um, yeah, I'm definitely not anywhere close to the uh, power factor floor. It's like uh, 180 ish that I'm shooting. So for anyone that doesn't for anyone that doesn't know that for major, it's 165 is the minimum power factor. So 180 is a pretty healthy margin in USPSA. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so um, I'm I'm more of the same as uh, Calvin and Matt. I load ammo just for the uh, cost benefits, not because I want to for some other reason and uh, i load it uh, i think the last time i checked i was about 140 power factor um, 125 is the minimum so i just do that so you never have to worry about when your ammo gets chronoed um and you you have a more uh, higher chance of knocking down steel um versus just you know scraping the power floor uh and the main priority is just to get something that you know reliably makes power factor and works in your gun um, and is reasonably accurate, uh, which it typically is. So if you do those three things beyond that, it pretty much doesn't matter. All right. Um, so on to the next part. So we have, uh, we've talked about our gun. We've talked about our ammo. Um, let's talk about one piece of gear that we recommend aside from the gun and ammo. So uh, we'll, we'll continue with our same order. What you got for us, Koi? Okay, so the uh, the piece of gear that I have is uh, going to say go a seven thousand dollar open gun. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe change everyone, it on the fly. Everyone so. go buy one. <laughs> so, <laughs> the piece of gear that I have is um, this uh, plate carrier for when you have to shoot area five. Um, it stops you, yeah. from, oh. stops you from getting shot. <laughs> those are uh, those must be flying off the shelf, huh? <laughs> are those all sold out now? <laughs> right. No, so I've got a, I've got a dumb, I've, I've got a real one. So it's a, it's a dumb gear one. But um, so you, uh, I'm, I'm part of Tape Gang. So um, if you don't know, you shoot red dots, and you haven't tried this, um, this stupid like five cent piece of tape has honestly been the most best and interesting thing for like skills development. Um, so that's that's definitely my gear, my gear thing. So there's no way you can see what you're shooting when the tape's on the glass, right? So what do you no. do? You're using um, the force. Uh, exactly. I actually just send a lot of hopers and uh, pretend like I'm using skills on the internet, which is oh, pretty well, much I... what open is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but oh, in all seriousness, do you want to say why you like the tape thing in, in one or two sentences? 
Yeah. Um, so I like the tape thing. There's a, there's an idea that you use like a, what do you call it? A binocular vision and you see your, you see your target. And if you want to shoot things really fast and interesting, like, then you don't like look at the dot um, because just like, I don't know, shooting optics on a rifle or something. If you look at the dot, you don't really hit where the dot is at, or you, you hit exactly where the dot's at, which is like actually over a whole entire range of things. Um, and not exactly, uh, not exactly where you think it's going. So, um, tape over the dot is, is, in, is cool because, um, it, it is a super obvious visual indicator that you're doing a bad thing. Cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, what's your, uh, gear recommendation for us, Calvin? So mine is actually a magazine brush. So I shot, uh, what match did I shoot? The Arkansas section match at Casa uh, this past weekend and that match was super sandy and I have a pretty bad habit of not cleaning my gear not cleaning my mags like anything and uh, I dropped the mag in the sand and I was like uh, I'll just blow off the sand fine and uh, next stage I shot with that mag uh, basically the follower got stuck going up between the mag extension and the magazine tube and my magazine just turned to a pet dispenser and just dropped bullets out so uh, it it didn't work anymore so have a mag brush clean out your mags uh no matter what kind of gun you shoot there was a block shooter on my squad who also had the exact same problem so yeah that's a really good one i um i've had that happen even in uh production it happens less often because you're using oem mags and springs and stuff but uh if you get sand in there unknowingly, that can definitely happen. Even if you think your gun is, you know, perfectly reliable. All right. Yeah. Um, the reason why I neglected it for so long was because my production mags are so reliable without mm -hmm. using them. But CO mags with the 140 extensions and the grams followers, they need a lot more attention. You guys know that uh, James Franco meme where he's like on the news and he's 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 going like first time. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. me to you guys right now. Like it's just assumed. It doesn't matter if it's dusty or not. You brush your fucking mags like for for open or any twenty eleven. Yeah, I guess this is you should open. You have to, or it won't work. This is, I think this is like um the Ferrari driver being like, you guys don't get oil changes every thousand miles. Like what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, well, cool. That's a that's a good one. And uh, so Matt, what cool piece of gear do you have for us? So I have these uh, shooting glasses. Um, if you notice, well, I don't need to say, necessarily say who they are. If you can see the yellow lenses, you can take a pretty good guess at who they are. Um, we've all heard the normal things, you know, ballistically rated uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not necessarily going to talk about that. I'm actually going to talk about it for health. So I actually have a family history of macular degeneration. And thankfully, these lenses tint. So um, any kind of tinted and darkening of the lens I can get when I'm out in like bright sun. It's going to help protect my eyes for that much longer and prevent degradation of the, uh, the lenses in my eye. So any, and because the sport relies so much on vision, any chance I can get to protect my eye uh, from having, getting worse, the better. Cool. Yeah. I've, uh, this uh, brand that uh, shall not be named, I guess. I think everyone knows what it is, but uh, I've heard nothing. Is it, is it Oakley? Is that, is that the brand? <laughs> no, it's uh... <laughs> He happens to run his own podcast. That's uh, who I'll say it is. Yeah, it's it runs uh, with Bunter's old. Yeah, something like yes. that. 
that sounds about right. Yeah. But I've heard nothing but good things about them, so those that's really cool. Uh, and the warranty is great. Yeah, the guy that runs the company seems like a nice guy too. So nothing not to like. Well, cool. Thank you, Matt. Um, so for for me, my show and tell, I have this guy right here. And for those of you not familiar, this is a little camera. And so it kind of has the uh, like AirPods design where uh, it has a case which charges the camera. And then you can uh, pop the camera out of here and it has a little hat mount for it too. So uh, it's pretty cool. Um, and, and it lets you, uh, you know, see a relatively first person view of um, either your practice or matches. So it's not like uh, perfectly in line with your sites, but it's, it's reasonably close. And um, I think it can be kind of a valuable training tool um, in, in some cases, but uh, even more so than that, it's just, it's been pretty fun being able to uh, record stages in first person and, uh, you know, watch them back and, and share them with people and whatnot. So uh, I would, uh, I would definitely recommend this one. And I know uh, um, credit where it's due, Matt turned me on to this camera. So he's got one too. And it is, um, it's really great. And uh, I guess I don't care about uh, saying brand names because it's not like I got any of this for free. It's an Insta360 Go To. So if you want a hat cam, um, I like this one. But yeah, so uh, cool. Um, that's uh, about us and our gear. Um, so let's take some listener questions. So it looks like first up we have. What do you guys think about during walkthroughs? Um, so uh, for those not familiar, that's referring to when you're looking at a stage in the five minutes before your squad starts to shoot it at a match. I What I do is I find a GM and then I just copy their stage plan. That's always a good strategy. Is it? <laughs> especially if they're doing something fancy that like might be above your skill level just don't worry about it just do exactly what they do <laughs> doesn't have to be a gm for me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh so for me um i'll i'll normally i kind of suck at stage planning so i'll normally just like like if calvin's at the match i normally shamelessly steal his stage plan because we both oftentimes are shooting production so uh, I'll, I'll try to find a decent stage plan whether it be something i come up with or or mooch off somebody else and then um from there uh, i try to get that point as fast as possible and from there i'm just visualizing it so like the the majority of the battle there is actually memorizing the plan and visualizing it to the point of being able to like subconsciously execute it. So um, I think, you know, some people skip that part, but so I just want to, you know, remember um, like at any given moment, I think about what's the most important thing I need to be paying attention to at that instant in time. And that's kind of goes on my to-do list during the stage. So, um, you know, oftentimes it's like each target to look at a specific spot on each target, or if I have to hit a specific position, then I'm going to, you know, look for some reference point, maybe on the ground or something like that of getting into that position or doing a reload, just, you know, whatever, just think about, you know, down the to-do list of each individual item that you have to do and memorize that and, uh, make sure that you're not, you know, forgetting any targets, um, you know, counting your rounds and stuff, um, like that. You guys ever like feel like you have found like a top limit of how much details you can get in. Yeah, I have felt like that before actually, but what's weird, I felt like that a number of times actually. And what's weird, I've always kind of broken through that like um, later, like I wouldn't have expected myself to, cause I thought I had kind of like 
hit the ceiling on that. But then I think like you get more comfortable with things. And so something that you previously would have had to have like right at the front of your mind to execute properly, kind of you get, uh, you get better at it and you're able to execute that thing subconsciously. And so now you can put in some more detailed item in the front of your mind. And that, that other thing just happens in the background. Uh, I, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I were sick, so I'm a bit even more simpler minded and I don't have to do as much. You, so you guys are like kind of coming from like production chaotics background. I take the even dumber approach. Um, I like just match up the number of targets first and then I do all the stuff you're talking about. But I, for the most part, unless the stage is like over 27, 28 rounds, I'm not even counting rounds or anything like that. Just like finding the targets and counting them out. And it's like, if, if the stage is like over 27 rounds, then I just find a spot where I'm not shooting and I reload. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a pretty good approach for the high cap division. Well, for any division, honestly, it's probably a pretty good approach. Um, try to fit in the reload where it makes sense. I think um, even if you think about uh, like the lower capacity divisions, I think a lot of people try and like, okay, I have 10 rounds. I need to shoot, you know, 10 rounds before I do a reload. And sometimes it's just like, um, you know, don't don't focus your stage plan so much around the reload. Just focus your stage plan around the shooting and, and squeeze the reloads in where you need to. Yeah, I think I'm super with that because uh, what do you call it? Um, now that I've shot open for a while, if I went back to shoot production, I would never, I would plan the exact same way and just say like, okay, when I'm out of ammo is when I'll reload. And the only exception to that would be it's like if there's like some array that's split in a way that I need to be like shooting more mm -hmm. by by reloading prematurely someplace. Yeah, I think um, this was uh, er earlier this summer, I think, Matt, you shot that uh, local match with us. You switched to production for one match, and um, you kind of did the same thing. Where you And Matt, for those that don't know, obviously normally shoots carry optics. So he was shooting production with me, and um, I was just doing my usual thing. We were squatted together. But Matt was doing some stage plans where I was like, what on earth is he doing? But it was working, and I think he was using um, kind of like – better stage planning techniques than I was just because he wasn't wrapped around the mindset of working around reloads. So um, does that sound right, Matt? Or what do you think about that? Um, so when I, when I did that match, I, I had to figure out, all right, Hey, how do I fight you specifically? Because you're in our local area, you're the top production shooters. So I'm like, all right, what, what am I capable of? Uh, what is my usual shooting style? How do I attack uh, a stage my way? That's really more of what I think about. How does my style uh, fit a stage? And then what else do I need to modify? Um, like, because production is 10 rounds, like, all right, I'm limited here. What am I capable of? That's, that's all I'm really thinking about. Cool. And yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Cool. And along with that, like, a lot of people tend to try to come up with these plans that are like the mathematically most efficient stage plans but they don't take into consideration their own skills and what they're capable of, like what Matt just mentioned. Yeah. So, so like, you for, can do... Like, a... let's, let's take an example. Like, uh, because I don't shoot irons as much, I do not have the same level of confidence on a 25-yard target that, say, Connor or you, Calvin, would uh, at a 25-yard target, even if it was just open or a tuxedo target. So I'm going to pretend like he didn't more. just leave me out there. <laughs> <laughs> You, sir, and your open guns. All right. Well, cool. It sounds like uh, 
we hit on that one pretty good. Um, so let's see. So the next question, how little does gear actually matter? You know, that, I think we got a, a lot of gear lot. related questions. So, so is it actually that big of a deal? Um, so depending on who's listening, um, depending on where you are, your skill level, a master class shooter could be like the, a God or like could be absolute bullshit. <laughs> um, so I think I made M over the past week. Wait, uh, name names, Calvin. Who exactly do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was able to make M in carry optics, or I should be M by tomorrow morning. Um, so by the time this podcast is out, I will be M. But I've used a combination of two guns recently, my stock three with Koi's Limb Pro Slide and a dovetail-mounted SRO with some tape over it. Uh, you know, that's one of the guns I used. Another one I used uh, to borrow was a Glock 19X with a really shitty stipple job and a stock trigger and an RMR. And we all know that with RMRs, you can't see anything out of them and you can't hit anything because they're so small. And also with the, uh, you know, the super like heavy trigger, you can't shoot them fast. And then prior to that, I used a borrowed stock two with a loophole delta point with the stupid upside down triangle reticle. And we know that one's so large, it like completely covers entire targets. Like, you can't hit anything. So I've used a combination of three janky guns at, over the last like, I don't know, year and some change, just dabbling in CO. And I somehow accidentally uh, shot enough classifiers to make M. You guys get the sense that he's trying to be like a little aloof about this. What he's not telling us is that gear absolutely matters and you actually need to like call the souls of multiple tin folios together in order to make masterclass <laughs> with the right combination of parts. What is that like? Master? Bringing together the skills of Jacob and Ben in one gun or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, my opinion on this question is that uh, you should use gear that's not completely retarded for whatever division you're using so like don't show up with a desert eagle to shoot production or something but like within reason if you're using gear that's not stupid uh you're gonna be fine it, it doesn't matter beyond that point just use whatever i'm told this is pretty stupid are you, are you throwing people off the scent because i see all the gm gear on there there's like yeah, brass he even has brass and... yeah that's <laughs> calvin put that down you're, you're disproving us right now <laughs> there there we go yeah thanks this, this is what we need that's go. what we need the the stock yeah. glock I yeah like but you it. you can't see he like clipped 10 recoil springs or something <laughs> i don't know about you man i'm using oh, yeah. the stock recoil spring he also told us he's scraping the power floor so i guess that doesn't count either <laughs> yeah. not anymore Oh, good, good. Well, cool. Yeah, so I think uh, the general consensus there is uh, it's really not as big of a deal as people make it. Um, they just get good, reliable gear. gear. That's all you need. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably the most important thing is just get stuff that where actually works. Um, all right, cool. And then if well, you like it, it helps. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that works, so beyond that, just pick your preference. Um, Sweet. Uh, so next question up, we have, uh, and this is a doozy. We have double action, single action versus striker fired. Any takers? Like, which one do you, <laughs> which one do we like better, or which one is better, and why is the other one impossible to use? Um, 
Okay, well, I'm just going to say as the 2011 guy, <laughs> if I had to choose between the two, it's definitely going to be double single. Corey's and, like, those are both trash. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> like, if, you're, if you're not rolling with like a pound and a half sugar, it's like, are you even trying? No. Um, I like double single, even though there's like different trigger pull for the first one, because it feels a bit more consistent. Like, Actually, that's probably the biggest thing about triggers for me. Like, it doesn't really matter, like, how heavy it is. It's just, like, how consistent it breaks. Um, I feel like striker fraud guns, at least the ones that I've had, and I'm not going to name brands because I don't want to ruin, ruin the picture for anybody, but um, striker fraud guns, I think they're actually tougher to shoot well because depending on, like, the uh, ignition, like, it can feel inconsistent. Like, it doesn't feel the same every single time you pull the trigger. And it could be from, like... I don't know, a bunch of things, I guess. When we talk about striker guns, mostly we're talking about like plastic triggers and stuff like that. Like when the trigger flexes and the gun flexes and everything flexes, like it just feels a bit squishy. Um, but again, this is coming from 2011 guys. So yeah, I think uh, in my opinion, it, it really doesn't make that big of a deal. If I had to pick a preference, I like double action guns, but um, I, shot, I shot a striker fired gun before I got my Shadow 2s, a, a VP9, and I liked that gun a lot as well. So I'm of the opinion that it doesn't matter. So I think the reason why there may be like a more like more gravitation towards double action single action guns is not because of the action because like people actually hate double action single action because it's two different trigger pulls but they're willing to put up with it because for a long time the ergonomics on double action single action guns were a lot better and you had more options of changing out grip panels that you couldn't do on most polymer striker fired guns that's what I think anyway uh, but now you're seeing much more ergonomic striker fired guns like the 320 legion the walther steel frame uh what else is there i guess something like the new gucci glocks the zevs and whatnot you know you're, you're seeing more and more of those especially in carry options. yeah and I, I wasn't in the game this long ago but i heard like 10 years ago you were retarded if you shot anything other than a striker fired gun so i feel like it kind of like you know waffles back and forth between whoever's who's using what to win at that moment in time. <laughs> so the reason for that back then was because the first uh, trigger bull had to be over five pounds. And so like, if you're a striker fire, then every single pull is over five pounds. If you're a double action, your first pull is only like what, uh, five, six pounds. And then every subsequent pull after that is like two or three pounds. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt like in the mid two thousands, everyone was using Glocks and, and you were an idiot if you tried to use it any double action gun and now it's kind of backwards like if you ask competition shooters if you don't shoot a shadow too it's like what are you even doing uh not winning the national championship that's not what you're doing oh well, yeah or, or a tanfo, <laughs> i guess whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't know we just I have guess, so many options nowadays yeah now you have to buy a uh, canic or kinnick or whatever those because that's the that's gun that Johnny. wins it's yeah as the one there's no there's no it. jake calvin <laughs> yeah, my God. Okay. It's the letter. It's I'm America. sorry. I thought this was America. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so um, what? Well, I think, as the uh, one as the one person who hasn't answered yet, um, I oh, want yeah, a striker. I want a striker. Uh, it's just more simple to me. Um, I like the simplicity of how it's clean. I already can already expect what kind of trigger pull I'm going to see. Um, I wouldn't mind going to a double action, single action, but uh, with the maintenance schedule that I put my guns through, I just keep it a striker. 
Yeah, and I guess that is one, like, there's, like, pros and cons. Like, one objective benefit of uh, the striker guns is they tend to be more, um, like, fewer parts to build them and stuff, which is kind of cool. And it's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, but All then right. your steel guns last longer when you do this. But what about a steel striker-fired gun? There's only one in the market, right? At least yeah, and it costs, like, 1400 bucks. Rest in That's peace, the, the Hudson H9. <laughs> I mean, the, the Walther's in the same price range as like a Shadow 2 with some Cajun upgrades or a, a Tanfo with some upgrades. Yeah. And well, you cool. still see them. I mean, uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think it matters just, either. Just pick one you like. All right, so next up, our last listener question of the night. We have, what are the most common issues with technique with handgun shooters? And uh, I assume they also want to know, what might you do about those issues? So the most common one for me is actually one that's on, have you guys ever seen that, uh, that target diagram? And there's like a, it's a circle and there's like a bunch of, there's a bunch of uh, words on the circle. I think if people just follow the advice on that diagram, they'll have perfect accuracy. I'm kidding. No, so <laughs> I use that every time I train. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So um, kind of meta, but, uh, but related. Um, I think the most common training issue is, is not actually like a uh, doing something technique. It is a learning technique. I'll be meta and refer to the first episode. They get their advice, one, from the internet or two, from their like uncle or something. And they learn how to do things in horrible ways, which is way worse than actually doing uh, doing the thing. Yeah. And on top of that, I, for some reason, people always want to learn how to do things very, very slowly. And on top of that, they learn how to do it incorrectly very, very slowly. So you're doing like two bad things, not just one bad thing. And every time you try to get people to speed up, they're like, oh, no, I have to go slow so I can be accurate. So they just somehow eventually learn how to be somewhat accurate while being slow. But then when you speed it up, their technique fall, completely falls apart and it can't be done. Yeah, that's a good point. I uh, I know um, I'll throw this out there for you guys. You uh, you expanded on that substantially in the um, training group live episode that you were on recently. So uh, and that was a really good discussion you guys had. So if um. If any of our listeners want more info on that, that was a great podcast to go listen to. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Koi's showing us his uh, one of his dry fire targets that he uses every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad about breaking wrists up. Oh, yeah, me too, me too. What, what about healing? You guys heal a lot? Yes. <laughs> All right, well, so... Um, I think one of the most common issues that I see with uh, handgun shooters is, um, let's say, a grip issue disguised as trigger control issues. So, and this has been something that I think I've learned um, through working through my own issues recently. So, um, I was thinking about it, and I think traditional wisdom is thinking about it as, oh, you have to be careful with trigger control. And, uh, I, I think that's definitely true, but I think people um, think about that the wrong way. They're thinking about their trigger finger when in reality, at, at least my bigger issue with trigger control was when I pull the trigger, I'm pulling the trigger with my whole hand and 
then moving the gun. So it wasn't really a trigger finger issue. It was like an entire firing hand issue. And that to me, uh, at least in my mind, makes more sense if you think about it with as it relates to grip. So that would be my common issue. I think, um, you know, if you're, if you're having issues moving the sights off the target, when you press the trigger, don't think about it with how are you pressing the trigger? Think about it with how are you gripping the gun with your firing hand? I mean, and at least that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. So how would you want to grip the gun? Oh yeah. Great question. So, uh, I subscribe to the, uh, I guess the, uh, training group practical shooting training group teachings where uh, they you know crush with your support hand or grip as hard as you can with your support hand and relax your firing hand uh, and, and that's so that you don't tense up your firing hand and like i said you know press the trigger with your whole hand um when, when you go to shoot and uh, along those lines actually it's probably a good time to bring it up i heard um it was joel said this on training group uh, i think it was training group it was either their podcast or one of the videos recently and uh it was uh, i had heard for for months and months uh while watching their videos you know the whole grip thing grip with your left hand or your support hand and just press the trigger with your firing hand don't don't over grip with your firing hand so i understood that but i don't think it really clicked for me and for whatever reason um in this video i watched he worded joel worded it in such a way where he um uses the uh I guess like mental cue of opening his firing hand. So not just relaxing it, but like actually opening it. And, and to be clear, you're not actually opening your firing hand, at least for me, that's just kind of the mental cue to help you not tense it up. And for whatever reason, him phrasing it like that really clicked for me. So, um, yeah. Which one do you think that handles better? Is that, does that solve tightening fingers or is that thumbing? Cause it's the, like they're on different Stumming? parts of it. The, they're oh. put on different parts. Of it. <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" <laughs> no, it's both. Yeah, actually, that whole chart. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, that whole chart I think can be summed up as tensing up your firing hand. So, <laughs> but uh, so it, unless it's a transition issue, I guess I don't know. We're getting going down the rabbit hole on that. But <laughs> but long story short, if you're having that issue, you might use uh, use Joel's advice that was very helpful for me. Where um, it, don't just think about relaxing your firing hand. Actually, just use the mental cue of of opening it. And again, you're not actually opening it. It's just to help remind you to not tense it up. I don't really have anything to offer. Everything else, everything I wanted to say got taken. Matt's like, I don't have technique issues, you scrubs. You know, going back to the uh, support hand thing, um, I think Ben and both Ben, both Ben and Joel do this in their classes, where they'll actually hold their gun with their only their support hand, and they leave the back of the gun completely exposed, so nothing's holding it back there, and they'll shoot doubles just to prove, to prove a point and so i've seen that a couple of times and i was you know what i'll try it and instead of trying it like for the first time by myself uh, i decided to show somebody like hey check this out look what i can do like this oh, is what ballsy. <laughs> i know right <laughs> this is uh this is how much your support hand does work you Drops know after watching this video. <laughs> <laughs> and but yeah in my head i was like huh, i probably shouldn't have said this but I went up to the target at like, you know, seven yards or whatever and just pulled a bunch of doubles and they were all in the A zone. And the guy 
I was showing is like, uh, you know, one of my, a friend of a friend, he was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. And, he, <laughs> and it finally clicked for him, you know, like, because before he was like tensing so much with his firing hand, trying to hold the gun down that every shot was just going straight down. So you proved to him that uh, with brass grips, you, you don't even need to use two hands. Exactly. Like brass grips like and they, uh, <laughs> yeah. a three pound trigger. That's what most people would uh, take away from that, I think. But. <laughs> so teaching grip technique literally came from uh, playing Time Crisis at the arcade. Huh? There you go. That's training right there. All right. Well, cool. Uh, anything else y'all want to toss out there? Don't get shot at Area 5. Yo, Don't well, get shot. <laughs> yeah, you, you can get shot. Just make sure you're wearing your plate carrier. Exactly. You know, there was a guy at the Arkansas section match who actually wore, like, level one body armor. It was, like, that soft armor stuff. <laughs> and, <laughs> look, at first I was like, what's this guy doing? But after seeing what happened to Area 5, I'm like, he was the smartest one there. Yeah, that man must have some sort of, like, <laughs> he's a time traveler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, cool. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, that was a uh, solidly mediocre, I think. So um, now, from now on, uh, no one on the internet has to uh, ask any questions about gear ever again, right? So that's that's cool. Um, hey, Connor, wait. what trigger do you run? A <laughs> flat face uh, yeah, what, trigger. Whatever came in it, <laughs> but. Uh, well, cool. All right, guys. Thank you, guys. Uh, that was awesome. And um, thank you to everyone who stuck with us this time. Stay tuned. Yay. <laughs> now we can end.